At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, finding your Christmas story in theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. All right. It is a privilege to be with you again today. If I didn't get to meet you last time, my name's Paul, and I serve at the Troy campus as adult ministries and spiritual formation pastor. And so it's great to be here with you. And uh, yeah, Tuesday was, was just horrible, wasn't it? It was absolutely horrible. And as we think through, continue to think through the events, think of like a song like Joy to the World and how theologically rich that is. Far as the curse is found. Just think of that word, those, those, that line for just a moment, right? Tuesday was evidence of the curse. We talked about Romans 8 just a few weeks ago and how the earth, the creation is groaning, right? It's groaning in birth pains. That was, that was Tuesday. But joy to the world. The Savior reigns. And, and for us as Christians, right, that gives us, that, that orients us. That's our Polaris. That's our North Star in times of tragedy. And I get the privilege to bring to you the word today from Luke chapter 1. And we're beginning a new series called Eyewitnesses. And you begin to think about these eyewitnesses that we will look at, and you begin to think about how they have been or they were experiencing the curse that was on creation and the immense anticipation that all of Israel had in light of what was going on in their culture, in their world, at their time. And you begin to see some of the things that they experienced, and we begin to see how we relate to those persons who are in the Bible. And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks as we joyfully and with anticipation prepare our own hearts for celebrating the Advent, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and, and the title is, is Believing the Impossible. And the big idea is that nothing is impossible with God. And you begin to just think through that, and we're going to work through that a little bit today. And we're going to have two main points, and here they are so you can prepare your own heart. When God calls, He provides. It's very simple. When God calls, He provides. And when God calls, we respond. So with that said, let's go ahead and stand. Just like when I was here last time, I love it when we stand and honor the reading of God's word. And you may read along with me, or you may just be silent and take these words into your soul and let the word of God minister to you. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name, say it all with me, Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, and read this with me, please. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. May God be honored by the reading of his word. Father, to you be the glory. And we come before you and we just ask that you will be honored uh, by these next several minutes. Help our hearts to be stirred by your word, to be stirred by your spirit. Father, for those who are already saints, may we be encouraged and may we grow in our faith. And for those who are here who are not Christians, we pray that you will save their souls. We pray that they will repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born in that manger of the Virgin Mary, who is holy. To you be the glory. Amen. Well, we begin to think of, you know, events like this past week. And one of the things that we sometimes do is we escape. We try to escape, right? We, we go to bed and we're hoping that this was just a dream. And then we wake up the next day and we realize this was not a dream. This was not a dream. It's all over the news. And you know it's a big deal when it hits the international news. And you know it's a big deal when you're at a prayer service at one of our other campuses and national media is there. You know it's a big deal. And, and as much as you say to your spouse or your neighbor, pinch me so that I can wake up, you are awake and you feel the pain of the pinch and you feel the pain and the sorrow of the events of the previous week. But we try to escape, right? And one of the ways that we escape is sometimes we turn to movies, and we turn to movies because movies help us escape. And you think of this season especially, it's one of the big seasons for movie releases. And there's always this kind of fun debate, uh, what are the best Christmas movies, right? And, and typically you will respond with something that has allowed you to escape the reality and the sorrows of, of your own life, or just the everyday trials or the hardships or the Groundhog Day of our own lives, right? And so, of course, Home Alone is up there, and we think of this, and, you know, we would never leave our, our kid home alone, right? We always say that, and then we always find ourselves at some point in our life wondering, where is my kid? Is this my Home Alone moment? 
Or we always turn on the TV and there it is and we might want to watch it, but our kids are like, why are we going to watch that? And we end up turning the channel for a miracle on 34th Street, right? Or it's a wonderful life, right? Why is a wonderful life so powerful for so many years? It's because we can really relate to that, right? We can sit there and we can imagine what would our life Or what would everybody else's life be without us? And so we kind of escape. And then at the end, we realize everyone else is better because I'm here. (laughs) Pinch me, right? (laughs) But we want to escape. And we think of this week and we realize we can't escape it. Especially as Christians, we shouldn't escape it and we shouldn't run from it. We have the most powerful message that should cause us to run into it and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we look at Mary. And as we're going through the gospel of Luke and we're looking at this eyewitness account, be assured the main reason this passage is written by Luke, and you just have to go back to the first few verses, is to understand that Luke was writing this so a man named Theophilus would have an orderly account of what was going on. Now, does Luke want us to understand what Mary was experiencing? Absolutely. Is that the main point of the passage? Absolutely not. The main point of the passage is that there is a Messiah who will be born. His name is Jesus. He will be born of a virgin. He will be holy and he will take the throne of David and he will reign forever. That is the main thing. But the beautiful thing about scripture is even though the main point is Jesus, we can find ourselves in the different characters and we can look at Mary. We begin to ask ourselves, wow, what would that have been like? How would I have handled that? How would I have handled that as a father with two young daughters? How would I have handled that as someone who more than 19 years ago was engaged to be married? How would I have handled that situation were it presented to me? How would I have handled Joseph's scenario, someone who was engaged and now he finds his his to-be wife pregnant? Of all the things, she claims that it's a miraculous pregnancy. How, how would I do that? But we learn from these characters and we learn from them in great and wonderful ways. And one of the first things that we learn is that when God calls, he provides. Once again, look at the passage and, and what do we begin to see here? In the six months, right, the angel Gabriel came to Nazareth. And you have to keep in mind, Nazareth was not this, this beautiful, glorious city in all of Israel. Nazareth was not the city that was the destination city. Nazareth was, Nazareth was the city where if you got a job in Nazareth, you tried to live outside of Nazareth. And so here was God performing this miraculous plan, unfolding this beautiful story that could only be imagined by the creator of the universe. And he chooses a town like Nazareth. But keep in mind, when God calls, he provides. And so he comes to this girl named Mary which some estimates say she could have been as young as a a 14-year-old girl because culturally, that's what you did. You married young. Life expectancy was younger. Culturally, it was okay because they weren't intimate until they got married in the Jewish culture. And you have a perfect wedding being planned. Mary is going to have a husband who will provide for her and care for her as a family. So Mary's parents were undoubtedly excited because now my daughter is going to have someone who will provide. So all these things are happening. And then all of a 
son, and we put ourselves in the story and we think, what would have been going through my mind? What would have been going through my heart if an angel of the Lord, whom I've never experienced before, comes to me and begins speaking to me? This story does not make sense. But that's exactly what happened. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So naturally, verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And this is what the angel said to her again. Do not be afraid. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, within this, we see that there is the call, right? The angel sent from God is calling Mary to this ministry to be the mother of the Son of God. And as you begin to look at this call where Gabriel's making it known to Mary that she is going to be the mother of God, the call is going out there and God is providing when he gives us a call. As we read later in the passage and as we've read in the other gospel accounts, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, here was someone who her and her husband could not conceive for all these years, and they had probably given up the hope that they would conceive, but then, then her and her husband conceive, and she becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. And once again, we begin to see God's masterful writing and unfolding of the story for all of humanity is beautifully being given to all of creation. One of the things you also see in this, as Mary is receiving this call, is you see why it is that God gave her this calling on her life. And you see that Mary is extremely humble. It's one of the things that we begin to see throughout Scripture. God uses those who are humble to call them to do things for his kingdom. Sometimes we look at Moses when he was being called to lead the people of Israel out and and we look at him and we say, well, he was trying to come up with every excuse that he could have to not lead the people out of Egypt. But God knew his heart deep down inside was humble. We look at David, a shepherd, A shepherd who tended the sheep and cleaned up after the sheep. There is a level of humility that has to go in with that. And also being the youngest sibling. We understand the scripture says God opposes the proud. But gives favor to the humble. And so we begin to see as, as Gabriel is saying these things. God is calling her to amazing things but he's also providing. God provided the path that Mary would would need to know, right? How will this happen, she said. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. I can imagine for Mary that still didn't quite make sense, but okay, you're an angel of the Lord, you're a messenger from God, I'm going to go along with this plan. 
And that's exactly what Mary's humility causes her to do. It allows her to recognize this is a message from God, and it allows her to accept the calling on her life, and it allows her to go forward with God's plan in humility. But if we take this main point, if God calls, he provides, let me ask you this, do you believe that? Do you believe that? We can all look at our own lives and, and we could easily write down something in our notes today and we could write it on a piece of paper, put it in our Bible, and we could easily say, this is what I think is impossible. This is what I think is impossible. And what are the things maybe that we think are impossible? Maybe we're feeling like it's impossible to send my kids back to school tomorrow. But are my kids ultimately under my control or are they under God's sovereign control? We could sit there and we could think it's the holiday season. It's that time of the year when, you know what, my brother or my sister, I haven't talked to them in years because of what happened 10 years ago. And you think that relationship is not able to be restored. You think that relationship is impossible to be restored. But guess what? As a Christian, we are called to be restoring people. And with you, it is impossible. But with God, it is possible. Or what about a spouse, right? You, you perhaps are, are struggling with spouses or you're struggling with children. And do you think that relationship and the restoration of that relationship is impossible? With you it is. You see, with Mary, what was going to happen was impossible according to human standards, but with God, it was possible. And with God, whatever your impossible is, is only impossible because you think it is impossible. It's not impossible with God. You see, when God calls us, he provides for us. And here was Mary, a young woman, by today's standards, a young girl, and here she was given this impossible, right? This so-called impossible task of being the mother of the Son of God, much less getting pregnant without ever being intimate with a man. And yet she yields what she thinks is impossible to God, and it becomes possible to her. You see, if you are in Christ, the only reason things are impossible is because you don't want to pursue them. The only reason reconciliation with, with a estranged loved one is impossible is because you aren't willing to pursue it. The only reason that you think that person is beyond the reach of Christ and therefore you don't share the gospel with them, you don't initiate a, a coffee with them or a lunch with them or much less invite them to church is because you think it's impossible. But that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to be people of faith who believe that with God, all things are possible. We think of Matthew 19, 24. And there Jesus was talking about salvation, and he was using the illustration of a rich man. And what did he say there in Matthew 19? He said, look, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we look at that and we're like, oh yeah, that's right. You know what, Jesus, that's right. But yet we have people all around us who we think it is impossible for them to enter the kingdom of God. 
Why do we do that? We do that because we lack faith. But here's the second part of it. If God calls us, right, he provides. And if God is calling us, we respond. But the question becomes, how do we respond? How do we respond as we perhaps go back to work tomorrow, we send our kids off tomorrow? How are we responding to them? Are we telling them to, to be on the lookout, of course? Are we telling them to be wise? Absolutely. But are we also telling them that there is a God who loves them and will care for them and is in control of all things? Absolutely, that's what we do. So when God calls, he provides. And when God calls, we respond. As we continue in the passage, look at verse 38 with me as we see that we need to respond. So in verse 38, after the angel asked, in verse, after Mary asked the angel in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel responds and tells her what's going to happen. And then she responds in verse 38, saying, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Those are absolutely beautiful, beyond her age, mature, theologically correct. Heart is in the right God-yielding position type of words. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What is this confession, so to say, doing? It's the response, right? And you begin to unfold all these things that, that Mary would have been getting ready to face. And we already alluded to them before. How is this going to play out with the man that I'm supposed to marry? I'm engaged in him. How is he going to respond to this? What about my parents? What about my relatives? What about my neighbors? What about my neighborhood? What about my city? What about the Sanhedrin? What about the Jewish culture? We know what happens when people get pregnant out of wedlock in the Jewish culture. They're ostracized, and yet Joseph was at least kind enough to prepare a divorce decree in silence until the angel appeared to him. And so Mary doesn't exactly know how all these things are going to pan out, but yet she still has faith in God, and she's still trusting God. And when God calls, she recognizes he's providing. She doesn't know exactly how it's going to be provided yet, but when God calls, she responds in the affirmative, faith-filled, I'm moving forward with your plan, God type of attitude. And that's hard for us, isn't it? That's hard for us. We read the words and we're like, yes, that's right. That's the kind of faith I want to have. And that's the kind of faith I have. But when the rubber hits the road, it becomes hard. It becomes hard. And it forces us to look at Scripture. And we go back to people throughout Scripture who were given God-sized things to look forward to. You could look at Noah. Imagine how Noah felt when God called him to build a boat in a culture which would have said, what are you building? Why are you building that? 
what is it you're building it for? And they mocked him for all those years it took him to build an ark. And then they were on the outside screaming, knocking, trying to get in. But Noah had been faithful. We can go forward, right? Moses. Moses, God, you want me to do what? You want me to go before the most powerful man in the known world, and you want me to just walk up to him and say, hey, let my people go. Yep, that's what I want you to do, Moses. That's what I want you to do. And there's that whole discourse between God and Moses. And of course, Aaron was there to help, but that's what Moses did. What, God, I've got all these people. Now you want me to cross the Red Sea? And the most powerful army in the world is here. God, what are you going to do? You called me to this. What are you going to do? Moses, I've got you. I'm going to part the Red Sea. What? And it just goes on throughout Scripture, right? David, a shepherd boy. Samuel, you're doing what? You're anointing me the king of Israel? And my throne will reign forever? I'm just a shepherd boy. And then we have examples like Jonah, right? God calls Jonah to do something amazing, to go to the Ninevites, call them to repent and believe in the one true God. And of course, we learn what happens there. He goes the other way. And it's a great warning for us because when God calls us to the impossible and we turn the other way, we better be ready for a Jonah moment. And I would much rather have Jonah chapter 3 and most of four in my life than Jonah one and two. But it goes on, right? Mary, Joseph, the disciples. Jesus, you want us to do what? Come and follow me. Okay. God, you want this man named Saul to come and be part of the church? They really struggled with that one. But those who are faithful to God with the impossible, their faith in God proved to ultimately be an immense blessing. And so that's where we find ourselves today. Like I said, if you were to go and you were to write down your impossible, what would it be? What would your impossible be? And then the beautiful thing about it is you can take whatever that impossible is and you can just write the words Jesus all over it. And instead of working on you being the leader of your faith, which never works for us, right? You let Jesus be the leader of your faith and you let God work and you say like Mary said, behold, I am your servant. I'm going to follow your will, God. I'm going to pray like you taught your disciples to pray. Your will be done on heaven as it is in earth. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust your Holy Spirit to lead me in how I should minister in these situations. And it, I realize, dear Jesus, it might seem crazy, but I'm willing to do it. And that's what God calls us to do. That's the posture he calls us to have. That's one of the reasons why Mary is here. Not to highlight Mary, but to highlight her impossible faith and to recognize that God's plan is always greater than our own. And how are you doing at that? How am I doing at that? You see, when God calls, we respond. 
And I love that Luke in his Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom continued the story with Mary. In verse 39, she visits Elizabeth. And she finds out that Elizabeth is with child. Another miraculous birth, but not near to the degree that Mary's birth will be. Not near to the degree. And then we can continue in verse 46, and we see Mary's song of praise known as the Magnificat. And all throughout history, orchestras and choirs have put this beautiful passage to words. And I just want to read it with you as we begin to close. Verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with food, with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. That encapsulates Mary's praise. And as I said, we love to have movies that we can escape into. Scripture allows us to look into the characters like Mary, and it allows us to evaluate our own faith through the demonstration of their faith. And if you're a Christian, right, the challenge has already been laid out for all of us. Is my faith being hindered by me thinking it's impossible or is my faith being led by the creator of the universe who reverses the curse as far as it is found? And how will that play out over the next day, over the next week, over the next month as we begin to celebrate the incarnation? Do we only think the incarnation is for us, or do we also believe that the power of the incarnation is for my Hindu neighbor, for my Muslim neighbor, for my cultural neighbor. I only think the gospel is, is powerful enough for the Christian who's beside me who's going through a struggle, or is it powerful enough for me? And then if you're here today and you are not a Christian, this is impossible. You cannot save yourself from your sin. You cannot rescue your soul from the depths of hell. You cannot find a different path to God that will lead you to a place of peace. You cannot turn to a news. You cannot turn to the right counselor. You cannot turn to the right book. You cannot turn to the right website that will give you a hope that will last. You will find temporal scratchings of your spiritual itches. 
But until you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, your hope will only be temporal. And I tell you what, there will be another day when you will be in the depths of your despairs. And unless you have Jesus, you will not know how to be brought out of that moment of despair. And so our invitation is to you. It's the invitation that Jesus gave, that you would believe in him and that God sent him into this world that whoever believes shall have eternal life. And that's the message we would love to celebrate with you, to talk to you about and invite you into that relationship with God. So remember, nothing is impossible with God. And when God calls, he provides. And when God calls, we must respond. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.